When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. every single draft. Stefan Diggs in the fifth round, Max Crosby in the fourth round, Grady Jarrett in the fifth, Joe Tooney in the third round. So today it is our job to uncover the super sleepers in the 2022 NFL draft. And there was no one better to do that with than Ben Fennel. Ben, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I thought that's how you were going to introduce me, secret stars of the draft. And this was like a behind the scenes analyst evaluator uh, type of expose. But there are a few stars of the draft that also play on the field. So yep. I think our listeners would rather uh, hear about those guys. Uh, to outline how much of a star Ben Finnell is, he works with the NFL Network. He he works with the Eagles. He's a must follow on Twitter, Ben Finnell underscore NFL. And really, there are few people better at identifying, I think, a, a player's traits and then putting them into the context of like how they will succeed or possibly fail or even how they're being utilized um, at the NFL level. Because you watch a whole bunch of college tape. You probably watch even more NFL tape. And so seeing what translates, what works well, how a player wins, all that type of stuff. Uh, again, I'm so glad we get to have this annual conversation and you're here to join me for it. Yeah. And, you know, you can't live in just one world because in order to translate the things you see on Saturday to Sunday, you have to have an assessment of, you know, the NFL game. So right. uh, being on the road with CBS on the weekends with their number two crew and Charles Davis going out to games gives me obviously another layer of perspective. In addition to my job at the Eagles, it is disappointing not going out to the college games anymore like I had done for five, six years of Greg McElroy and ESPN college football. Mm. But um you know, being on the NFL circuit was a completely different perspective and uh, just helps kind of connect the dots for everything you see on Saturday and these prospects and how they'll potentially fit on Sundays. Well, let's do that. Let's do that right now. I'm, I know some of the names you're going to say. Okay. And I don't know the others. So this is even going to be shocking to me. But let's start off with a man who I think fits the Ben Fennel type. And that's <laughs> Kentucky pass rusher Josh Paschal uh, at 6'3", 268. You see him line up at three tech. You see him line up at five tech. I think on this very show last year, Ben, you talked to me about Boogie Basham. And in some ways, I see some similarities, but holy hell, this guy has overcome a lot in his career, recovered from cancer, beat that. And now this past season at Kentucky had a fantastic year. Yeah, you know, the Boogie Basham comparison, you know, height, weight, speed, uh, their positional versatility. Certainly, you could kind of see that connection in uh, just what Boogie Basham did at Wake Forest for a number of years. But this draft class in general, Josh, we know the edge rushers are deep. 
There's some really intriguing defensive tackles in Jordan Davis and Travis Jones is flying up boards and guys like that. There's this weird collection of hybrid players that Trayvon Walker is stealing the show with his obviously underwear Olympics and his prolific season with Georgia and the national championship team. But whether it's DeMarvin Leal or Logan Hall or Zachary Carter or our own Josh Paschal that we're talking about right now, where do you kind of stack the positionally versatile guys and the hybrid players, the inside-outside types that I just feel like are being overlooked because of those other guys that I just mentioned? But Josh Paschal is a really interesting player when you start peeling back the curtain to just him in a vacuum. 6'3", just a smidge under 270, ran 4.77, yep. jumped 37 and a half inches. That is rare, rare company when you're talking guys that are heavy, 260-plus, explosive in the lower half in the jumps, and straight linear speed with bursts and a good 10-yard split. <clears throat> Excuse me. When you start talking about former players that have done that, it is littered with first-round picks. Yep. Those are the traits you want to bet on. And it can maybe make the connection to like a more recent guy, like a Milton Williams that came out last year at a lot tech, also about 275 inside, outside. And with the Philadelphia Eagles, played a little bit of inside, outside. Every week was kind of a new skill set for him. I think you're going to see some of those snug, tight alignments on the outside. And we've seen big defensive ends do that in the NFL. You know, Will Smith, Nick Perry, Everson Griffin, Bradley Chubb a few years ago. These are guys that are stiff. Not going to turn the corner, not high side rushers, but really strong three down players, great at the point of attack and can slide inside in sub packages. This kid played special teams, over 100 career QB pressures in his career. So he's productive consistently, got better every season. I mean, some infectious plays, whether it's the punt block, he was a personal protector on punt at 275 pounds as a redshirt senior. I mean, there's some of those things that just really kind of excite you about his presence on a roster. He's a strong player. He's a stack and shed type. Listen, he's not a twitchy type. He's not a bendy type. He's not a flexible type, but he has no problem going right through a half man and blasting through some shoulders. He's a guy that the film watchers are going to love. See, he's not a beautiful, elegant pass rusher. Like you're saying, like as soon as Von Miller entered the league and even before then, Everyone was searching for the edge pass rusher that could bend at the ankles, the knees, the waist, and just get underneath the offensive tackle. Now, this guy, every single time, wants to work through you, around you, and either shed you as a block, well, and I should say, and then get backfield disruption and, and penetration. He refused to be blocked at the line of scrimmage. Like this will, this determination that he's had. So often when you watch pass rushers at the college level, yeah, they might have a splash play here or there, but they, they're kind of comfortable working at the line of scrimmage than shedding once they get there. Josh Pascal wants to work in your zone. He wants to work in your area code and 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 find his mark and, and, and beat his man one-on-one. I, I want to ask you this because – you know, I think for years at the NFL level, again, you had the Aaron Donalds, the the Geno Atkins, the let's say even Grady Jarrett's of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're the three tech that is around 290, 295, 310. Okay. I think more and more recently, we're seeing these types be utilized closer and closer to the center and especially even closer to the guard. This 270, 275, your Arden Keys, Arc Armsteads, NASCAR packages of the world. So like while maybe a small section of the NFL utilize those, I think more and more teams are going to. 
um, especially on second and long situations and then third down obvious passing situations. And Pascal fits that that role perfectly. Yeah, and then part of that is putting guys in positions to be successful and make plays and take advantage of matchups. So if you have a guy that's 270, 275 against a 320-pound guard, there's clearly an athleticism mismatch there. Now, is that a liability against the run and some other aspects of play so you can't do it on every down basis? Certainly. And you're seeing that from edge prospect all over this class, whether it's, you know, George Karlaftis has slid inside, Boye Mafe has been inside, Epicati has been inside. So if you're not finding ways to get these edge rushers isolated against big, slower guards, you're really not playing the game and getting them into great positions to be successful. And I just think back to Bradley Chubb, who is the fourth overall pick, That first year with the Denver Broncos, I think he was a double-digit sack guy. Why was that? He rarely came off the field. And in order to not come off the field, you have to be a good run defender. In order to be a good run defender, you have to be strong. You have to play the point of attack. you got to stack and shed. you got to hold the edge. In order to do that, you have to be 260, 270 strong, have a good base, and have that size. I think Josh Paschal is going to be a really productive player in the pros because he can play early downs. And he's positionally versatile on, you know, in sub packages and in later downs, not to mention, you know, the testing or the, you know, the traits and the explosion and the yep. testing. Those are things you want to bet on, Josh. Oh, easily. I mean, the listeners know this, you know, this, Ben, we, we talk about this all the time, like in a true one-on-one matchup, which more often I would say at defensive line, offensive line, you get that versus, you know, other portions of an NFL field at the very least. Being a better athlete than your opposition gives you a leg up. And let's work from there, especially on these day two, day three types. Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, and real quick for anyone that follows me, they know I do not love runaround types. Right. And runaround Jarvis Jones is of the world are typically your undersized speed rushers that want to time the snap, win high side, and beat tackles around the edge. I love guys that want to get to the quarterback in the shortest form from A to B. In order to do that, you typically have to go through some contact. You got to do some power rushes, some inside moves, get on a half man and enjoy beating contact and playing off a of contact. Work the so, edge. you know, as much as the Brian Burns is of the world and now the David Ajabos excite you about what they can do on third and six. I get worried about what I'm doing with them on first and 10. So I think yep. there's a lot more to the conversation about those explosive undersized edge rushers. I love the well-rounded three down players. Give me a Josh Pascal, and I'll go from there. Yeah, if you're joining us on YouTube, you're seeing all these highlights. If you ask a tight end to block this guy, good luck. He's going to refuse it. And like that mentality travels. He's also, I believe, a three-year captain at Kentucky. That's going to give him some plus. And as you talked about putting a tight end, he literally just bull rushed the center. Right. So that right Right. there talks about his literally (laughs) up and down the line play. I think at the next level, it'll be a five-tech on early downs, maybe slide into some four-eye and three-tech and sub-packages. Yeah, according to PFF, he was in the B gap 87 snaps last season on top of the tackle 287 snaps and outside the tackle about 252 snaps. Right. And he led the entire power five conferences with a 12.4% run stop rate. Again, what travels is his refusal to be blocked. I mean, he immediately fights for two things to get upfield and to disengage from his blocker. Mm-hmm. And that's it like won't. a great, that's a great package to have. No question. And one last kind of connecting the dot. If we loved all those linear explosive plays from Jameen Davis last year, Mm. where he had free access to the ball carry and blasted running backs at one, two yards. Somebody was plugging the line of scrimmage. Somebody was holding somebody up. Somebody was giving that free access and letting big number 44 go and make those splash plays. Same thing at Clemson. I remember watching Stefan Anthony and seeing just these free access to the ball carry. Yep. Said, 
well, how is he getting there? Oh, yeah, Grady Jarrett was in front plugging two guys up, you know, at 290 pounds, taking on double teams. Someone's typically doing the dirty work. Love this. This is our job today. Find these players that sip through the cracks who might not fit ideally in the measurables of one place or another, and you see the NFL littered with them. Uh, but and jo- and Josh, Pascal is a guy that could go 35th overall. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay. Or yeah. he could go 105th overall, and I would say, okay. Yeah. I don't really know where to stack him, you know, because he's kind of a in-between hybrid tweener, you know, positionally versatile guy. It gets a little tough to figure out where to project those guys on boards. All right. Before we move on, appreciate everyone joining here with us. If you're checking out the channel for the first time, I think like 58% of you who watch our content are not subscribed. You absolute losers. What are you doing? Fix that. Subscribe. Join us. We have great people like Ben on to break this down more eloquently than Hayden and I ever could. We have so much content down below on running backs, wide receivers, all that stuff. We've just got, you know, three more weeks for the draft. So be sure. And four four weeks away from 2023, Josh. It's the gift gift that keeps on giving. You know. All right. Before (laughs) we go there, we did talk a lot about wide receivers on two different shows. We didn't spend enough time on this man. Calvin Austin III coming out of Memphis. What an interesting prospect this has been. And if anyone follows you on Twitter, you know that you've posted plenty of clips on, let's call him the little man. I don't think he'll be offended from that. 5'8", 170 pounds. And while on paper, that might look like a small wide receiver, Ben, they asked this guy to play X a lot, win (laughs) against press coverage, one-on-one situations. And then he goes out there in Indianapolis and tech like test like a ludicrous athlete, 92nd percentile vertical, 99% broad, then a 4-3-2. The shuttles were 92nd and 96th percentile as well. The NFL for years has not wanted to hitch their wagons to this smaller type. But I, I start to wonder, are they a bit more receptive to the Calvin Austins of the world? Well, you know, and I I hesitate to call him a track star playing football at this point but that was his lineage and trajectory onto the memphis football team he eventually walked on he was on memphis's track team this guy has nine state championships on the track uh sprinting uh in high school 100 meter 200 meter 60 meter everything he did in indianapolis at the combine was expected i see these clips here i was 2020 against sauce gardner did not play in 2021 so i put a lot of emphasis on those 2020 clips. And you see a couple press coverage technique issues with Sauce Gardner on those two clips. But anyways, let's keep the focus on Calvin Austin. (laughs) You see him beating all this press coverage, which is the first thing I want to see when you're talking about the undersized track star playing receiver. When you can't just give them free access and a tight split and let them use that explosive speed up on safeties, can they actually beat press coverage? And you're seeing every one of these clips, the last eight, nine catches here, all against press coverage, Yes, you know, he plays in the group of five, but he played Mississippi State. He just tore through an SEC corner a couple of clips ago there. Great play strength, good contact strength, and you can see these plays. You're an X receiver, and we're running at you. We need you to dig out the safety to your side. We're running your way. If you don't make that block, this run's going nowhere. He's 5'7", 173. This is a very strong receiver. Yes, there has been players in this package before to compare him to, you know, to the Sean Jacksons and Taylor Gabriels and Travis Benjamin, KJ Hamlers. He's a better football player. Mm. And that's what should really excite teams. And I see him in a very similar mold to a guy that was really productive and efficient 
for a playoff team last year and Isaiah McKenzie for the Bills, who had some huge crossing routes against the yep. Patriots and some of those big games down the stretch of the season and take handoffs in the backfield. Another guy that's very tough with this is football acclimate and play strength. So I don't think Calvin Austin is just the over-the-top guy. He's a guy that can win in quick areas. You could just give him the ball and some bubble screens, and he'll do this right here. He'll dig out a safety to the play side of the run. That should really excite you. See this clip here? He was calling out the potential blitzer pre-snap. Cat blitz goes right up to the safety. Football intelligence, I can't just call him a track star playing football anymore. Calvin Austin is a football player. Love that couple more, again, when you see the size, when you see the weight, you think, well, we can only play him in the slot. And that might happen. That like might eventually be the role he's forced to play at the NFL level. But if you go back to his last, let's say, three years at Memphis, who have produced some pretty damn good, exciting prospects in the <laughs> league. Slot snaps, just 39, 96, 86. Out wide, 373, 361, and then 21. Like the last two years, he has been a legit outside wide receiver at this size going up against some big time, you know, opponents. Now, my question to you, I love Isaiah McKenzie. I was hoping, you know, after what he did to the New England Patriots this past season, a team would look at him in free agency and say, man, we can make this guy a full-time player. Then he re-signs with the Bills for just, I don't know, two, two and a half, three million dollars a year. Really a like replaceable contract that if they went and saw someone a la Jamison Crowder, one at the very least, they are competing for that role. And at worst, he's probably playing second fiddle and has to, you know, do a good job to hang on to that, you know, third wide receiver and three wide receiver sets. And then on top of that, Ben, what Hayden and I always talk about is really when projecting wide receivers, there's a ton of 11 personnel out there and three wide receiver sets. But really to like be a full-time player, you need to be out there in two wide receiver sets, and then some of those guys will shift inside as well. Could we ever, ever think that Calvin Austin is good in, like is, is the NFL, their, their lens of him will give him a chance on the outside and be one of those you know top two wide receivers for an organization? I don't know if he'll ever be a true receiver one or two. But I see him being a receiver three that's creatively used on a very established offense or with a creative offensive coordinator. You know, I think back to a Tavon Austin, mm -hmm. who's explosive out of West Virginia, an undersized receiver, clearly, that was used outside of the numbers way too often in his career with the St. Louis Rams. You're throwing these verticals to a little dot of a receiver down the field. I just think now the NFL offenses are much more creative much more willing to kind of use some Saturday schemes to find them effective. And I think Calvin Austin, whether it's the, the vertical, the shot play stuff, the yards after catch, but then just the decoy stuff, the taking the top off the defense, the fast motion concepts, the horizontal stretch aspect where he might not ever need to cross the line of scrimmage to be effective. Jet no. sweeps, end around, orbit motion stuff, all those kind of, you know, for lack of better words, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle type of speed receiver things. Yeah, no question. So I think he's going to have a very interesting skill set, but there's a lot you can do with this kid. I just don't yeah. think he's a traditional X or a traditional Z uh, receiver for an offense. But uh, another thing that's interesting with him, he was 148 pounds showing up to Memphis. He's 175 now. Do you know how hard it is to put on 25 pounds at 148 pounds? I did in college, too. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think your weight went a little bit different, uh, different areas <laughs> of the body there. But when you're 148 and you want to add 25 pounds of muscle, good weight, 
we're talking good weight here, not Saturday morning donuts and Keystone yeah, Light yeah, yeah. there, Josh, but um, do for me, cheer right. one, all that stuff. <laughs> so I, this tells me a kid that's worked hard off the field and has got his body in great shape and it really shows on the field with his play strength. Okay. I, I think part of also maybe like the, the spectrum he fits on is like a Miko Hardman, but I would say that he knows how to play wide receiver better than Miko Hardman does right now to be honest with you. Like, I think Nicole's still learning that position. Um, now, this class has a few of these types in it as well. Like, Wandale Robinson. I'm sure there are others. I'm not going to ask you to tier them or, or rank them. That's up to the NFL teams to do. But is there any other prospects of this, you know, aura of this type that you want to shout out? Yeah, you know, and I think in that Calvin Austin, I'd be very, you know, um, uh... I would expect to see a lot of these playmakers go off in round three because yeah. of, I think, the NFL's willingness to kind of accentuate matchups and take some of these schemes from Saturdays into Sunday. Jamal Agnew's an example of this last year. Like halfway through the year with Jacksonville, they they craved juice and they put him on the field. And it felt like at times he was their number one playmaker out there. Yeah. So on day two, you know, the Calvin Austins we just talked about, but, you know, the Wandale Robinsons and the Khalil Shakurs of the world, Wandale Robinson essentially a running back at Nebraska for two years, much more of a slot receiver at Kentucky. This is a, a running back profile. So I know we're all talking about, you know, the short arms and things like that, historically short arms. This is a guy that's probably going to be doing some running back-like roles for an offense. He's twitchy. He's sudden. He's probably going to line up in the backfield quite a bit as well. Same thing with Shakur. Tons of rushing attempts through his career, a three-level receiver, hands, toughness, competitive I just see their playmaking ability to be too much to pass on for an offense, maybe with an established O-line and an established quarterback, that you just want to add more shiny weapons and some nice accent pieces to the offense. Now, on day three, Josh, you're loaded with these types, whether it's the speedster Jalen Naylor out of Michigan State, Khalil Pimpleton out of Central Michigan, has some of the most fun tape and explosive playmaking ability in all of college football. Vellis Jones, 4-3 out of Tennessee, getting love all over the NFL, tons of top 30 visits. And how about Derek Young out of Lenore Rhine? He's the closest thing to Debo Samuel in this class, and I don't say this lightly. This kid's 6'2", 225, with a big bubble butt. He is rocked up. He's played in like the wing tees, lining up in a wing tight end with his hand in the turf, blocking defensive ends. Really, really tough kid out there. So there's some really interesting options. All those guys they just listed, the Wandale, Shakurs, Naylor, Pimbleton, Young, they're not traditional receivers. They're weapons. They're playmakers. I think they're going to have very particular roles in their offense, but there's some really fun ones in this class. Shout out Hickory, North Carolina, Lenore Ryan. Okay. There you go. Um, we covered some wide receivers right there. Great job. We've also talked running backs on this channel. And what I've thought, and not trying to put words in your mouth, is there's a two at the top. And who knows who the NFL might throw in there among the, the Brees Halls and the Kenneth Walkers. Maybe, heck, maybe they throw Brian Robinson or Isaiah Spiller. Anyways, there's like a large chunk after those top two in a lot of people's minds where someone productive is going to come out of that grouping, but who could it be? Pierre Strong's getting some love, but through the grapevine, I heard that you are quite a fan of Iowa's Tyler <laughs> Goodson. I do like Tyler Goodson, and Pierre Strong's a guy I've been on for a couple of years, and I absolutely yep. love that kid. Three-down player. He reminds me a lot of Aaron Jones coming out of UTEP. Pro-style running scheme, weapon in the pass game, literally everything he did at UTEP I think is going to tr- translate to the Packers. Same thing with Pierre Strong. But Tyler Goodson, Iowa, zone-blocking savants, uh, Linderbaum's getting all the love at center. Well, someone was toting that rock back there, and that was Tyler Goodson. And he's a zone-running savant. 
I think he does a great job in pressing the hole, picking his alley, whether it's playing off the front side, setting up blocks, hitting the backside uh, cutbacks, catches the ball very well, great burst, tests it off the charts in Indy. Reminds me a lot of Tevin Coleman. Uh, coming out of Indiana, who has done nothing but find zone scheme jobs in the NFL with Kyle Shanahan and the Falcons and the 49ers. So, and the same kind of thing with Iki Aquanu. A lot of zone blocking at NC State, one of the most savviest zone blocker offensive linemen I've ever seen. Well, don't forget about Zonovan Knight back there, who's another good with a great zone feel running attack. Reminds me almost like a DeMarco Murray, kind of a leggy but thick zone runner. Um, so Zonovan Knight, Tyler Goodson. Two guys, don't forget about them. They're probably day three types at this point, Josh. But these are guys that I think are going to complete running back rooms on the roster. Pierre Strong is getting a lot of Raheem Mostert comparisons. I know Matt Waldman, a few other people have thrown that one out there. Um, I liked Pierre Strong, but again, at 5'9", 197, we can go through some Tyler Goodson athletic measurables here. 4'4", mm-hmm. 240, shuttles in the 89th and 96th percentile, jumps in the 82nd and 85th percentile. Um, the Tevin Coleman's, the Raheem Mostert's, that zone running that you're talking about. I don't know if Tyler Goodson's getting enough love as much as in comparison to his peer in, uh, in Pierre Strong. So I love this shout out 100%. Yeah, there's some fun running backs on day three. There's a lot of pass catching weapons. There's some early down just rushing savants that probably won't contribute on third down. There's some guys with some crazy production in the pass game, whether it's Tristan Ebner at Baylor, Max Borgie at Washington State. Can't believe Tyler Beatty doesn't get more love. Finally We're going to do a show on Tyler Beatty at one Finally point. Finally got We're the lead job one. at Missouri with Larry Roundtree moving on. Just does nothing but rips off 1,600 yards in the SEC. He's a thousand yards. I think a thousand yards rushing and receiving one of these seasons. He's a weapon, a three down player, explosive four, four kid all day long day three running backs. I just, I could rifle off 15 to 20 that I could see being drafted. Yeah. I mean, we truly might see three backs selected in the top three rounds and then a handful, if not a dozen of these other ones on, on day three. And all sorts of shapes and sizes. I mean, give yep. me some of these 225 pounders that probably aren't touching the ball on anything other than first and 10 and third and one, but yep. the Snoop Connors of the world and the Kevin Harris's and Tyrion Davis price. These are guys that want to run through your face, you know, no nonsense types that want to fall forward and stay productive. I love those types. The run to daylight guys really aren't for me. I want a guy to fall forward, finish runs, stay productive, stay on schedule. Long story short, there is type to running backs for everybody in this class. Thought I had too with the Bills showing interest in JD McKissick. And it's kind of actually kind of tough to find that type of back who has some wide receiver snaps and you know such a good pass catcher out of the backfield, but obviously agreeing to a contract with him and not being able to find a replacement for that, probably. James Cook might be an option too, someone who did quite a bit of that. At Georgia. Okay. So we've covered wide receiver. I could also see James Cook maybe going to the Rams, replace Sony Mm. Michelle. They could also Mm. use a bit of a third down back there with uh, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson. All right. So we talked about defensive line with Josh Pascal. Anyone else, maybe at the safety defensive back spot, uh, also through the grapevine. Heard you're a bit of a fan of Jalen Petrie coming out of Baylor, someone who has played a lot in the slot and really part of that Baylor Matt Rule tree that he drafted or excuse me, recruited some really, really great athletes and then kind of filled that role for that team. Yeah, I think the safety class is really exciting. Obviously, Kyle Hamilton's the headliner, but we may not see another one for 30 picks after Kyle Hamilton. But on day two is going to be a huge run on the Dax Hills and Jalen Petries and 
Kirby Joseph, Jaquan Brisker. I mean, Jaquan Brisker is a heck of a football player. I would have no problem playing Jaquan Brisker or Daxon Hill at corner tomorrow for an NFL mm. team. Those kids are that athletic, that special, that long, that fluid, that explosive. You can do anything with these guys. I think the Lewis signs of the world are just as good uh, as some of these first-round defensive talents around uh, you know, college football right now. And there's some players that just don't get the love that I could see going in you know, the second, third round, the Nick Crosses of the world, JT Woods. Yes, he's a track player, at, you know, a track star uh, Baylor. He's a heck of a safety, too. He has nine interceptions the last two years. I think the defensive back, the corners, a little more interesting, but the safeties, I think there's all sorts of strong safeties, matchup players, center fielders on the back end, special teams, demons, high-level testers. I just love this group because these are the guys you really want to fill out your roster with. So where are we at with safety in the league? I mean, because we're seeing a whole bunch of too high after for so long teams wanted to copy the, you know, Pete Carroll, Gus Bradley, Seattle's of the world with single high free safeties that can cover the entire back half. Um, now we're also seeing three safeties out there. Not going to call them big nickels because at times it's really just three true safeties out there. And then even the nickel position, the slot corner has changed, right? Where we saw for a long time, it's, we can throw out a name, Nikel Roby Coleman's of the world or the Captain Munnerlands of the world. These short, smaller guys that were quick who could stick with these shorter slot wide receivers. We've even seen that transition a little bit with Jalen Ramsey playing as close to the football as possible and playing about half his snaps last year in the slot. I know you watch so much of the NFL and see this transition year over year over year. So in your opinion, where are we at with these nickel corners slash safeties in that position as a whole? Big question. Yeah, Hopefully a big answer is this is like a, a thesis. We could talk for an hour about this, but uh, obviously everything's cyclical. So as the slot receivers were getting smaller and it was the Wes Welkers and Danny Amendola's and Brandon Stokely's, you had to find smaller defensive backs to counter that. Then you started to beef up the slots to take advantage of the smaller corners. Hey, if that small corner is there in the nickel, we're going to run at him or block him off the field with a bigger slot. Everything then comes back into balance. I just feel like the prevalence of sub packages, now the big nickel, having three safeties becoming that much more popular because three safeties, that third safety is not the liability in the box, in the run game, taking on blocks as maybe that third corner would be. So I think adding a third safety with cover skills is a huge trend in the NFL. Having a guy that can take on the run, stick his nose in, but can also turn and run and have some ball skills and not be clunky. Is that's like Taylor why, Rapp an example of that? Like we, we've seen the Rams utilize him. In a yeah, you know, the, the Rams are a great expose on just showing the emphasis on how important the safeties are. That quarter scheme, you know, that Brandon Staley installed is around the NFL all over the place, whether it's Vic Fangio or wherever, puts a lot of stress on the safeties. Those safeties have run reads. They're sitting about 8, 9, 10 yards. Then they have to read a pass and get depth and still have coverage ability. So I think also the Rams being a very high-level team for a number of years with Micah Kaiser and Troy Reeder at linebacker, I think should tell you the lack of emphasis on that. I mean, we won a Super Bowl here in Philadelphia with Nigel Bradham and, you know, a couple backups. Malcolm Jenkins was the star. And you're starting to see more green dots now with the safeties, whether it's the Derwin Jameses of the world or, you know, other safeties around. They're the new quarterback of the defense. So this whole narrative that, positional value of the safety is diminishing and you shouldn't draft them early. I completely disagree. 
I think the safety position is one of the more integral spots on the defense. It's a nucleus position. And if you don't have a well-rounded one that's smart, that's a leader, that's, you know, essentially your captain on and off the field, I mean, you're going to be kind of swimming uphill uh, with that. So there's a lot of layers to that. But having a functional, versatile safety, I think, is the name of the game. Not necessarily Mm. having that functional, versatile coverage will linebacker. I think having that kind of safety that can do it all gives you much more opportunities to make some big plays. I'll be very interested to see how the NFL and how many teams start putting that green dot, like you said, on safeties versus linebackers. And we, Hayden, I just did a mock draft show a couple of days ago. Um, and I know like the Bruce Feldman's, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the Dane Brugler's, all our buddies um, are now putting like Devin Lloyd among the top 10, top 15 prospects here. But when just going through these teams and how now they are handing out contracts, Ben, it's kind of tough to project linebackers now going in the top 10 and, and top 15 versus, I don't know, five, seven years ago where it felt like every single team out there wanted a fast linebacker because when your linebackers are slow, at times your defense looks slow, but these things can change so quickly in the, you know, half a decade, which they have. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of rolling this back to the safety and Jalen Ramsey. I thought Jalen Ramsey reminded me a lot of Malcolm Jenkins coming out of Ohio state, both big hulking physical corners that I want playing between the numbers because I can tap into the most into their ability and their playmaking ability. And, you know, the same thing with a Minka Fitzpatrick who played mm-hmm. corner at Alabama that first year, then transitioned to that star nickel spot, their ability to make plays and make impact plays around the ball more in the middle of the field between the numbers, I think just puts them in a position to do that. And I think seeing Jalen Ramsey now, as a blitzer, making impact plays against the run, you know, obviously taking away tight ends, slot receivers, just being more of that involved player than saying, go take away their X, and there's occasionally going to be a game or two where the ball doesn't go your way. I just think putting some of these freak athletes in positions to be successful means safety, safety, safety. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Lundar has a great question from the chat. Ben, how high do you think Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame should go, could go, because, again, let me phrase this another way. We really don't see safeties go in the top five, if we ever have. Like, I remember when Jamal Adams was coming out of school, there was some link with him to the San Francisco 49ers when they had a very early pick. That did not transpire. But, like, when we look at contracts and, like, as soon as one of these safeties gets drafted that early on, I'm not going to change the market per se, but he's immediately going to be listed among the top ten, top seven at the position. So with all that we just said, Kyle Hamilton now is perceived to be a very, very highly rated prospect. Your view on him quickly. Well, obviously his height, weight, speed, range, playmaking ability is a lot to salivate and be excited about. If you have a hole at safety, particularly picking in the top 10, whether you're the Jets or the Lions, teams like that, I think you really have to consider that. And considering how much he's going to play for you, how much sub packages involved, how freaky these tight ends are, I think his playmaking ability, if you fall into a Derwin James, you're laughing. Yeah. You know, you're going to take that and you know, play him for 10 years and never look back. If you think you're getting a Georgia Loca, that maybe won't excite you. But Georgia Loca was a really good football player in this league for a long yeah. time. So um, you know, that's kind of what he looks like. You know, Is he a Jeremy Chin type? I have no problem taking Kyle Hamilton in the top 10. We need safeties. We play a lot of them. They're versatile. We ask a lot of them. You know, they're the quarterbacks of the defense these days. I need to make sure everything's kind of clicking between the ears with what he's asked to do. 
Um, but I have no problem taking Kyle Hamilton in the top 10 if we have a need at the safety position. Okay, before we move on to the final act of the show, any other super sleepers that you want to bring up, names at the top of your head, this is your one chance for entire draft season, Ben, your only platform to do this. Oh, man, I already mentioned a couple good ones. Khalil Pimpleton would probably be one that I would throw in off the cuff there. Love Damari Mathis at Pitt. I don't know if he's a sleeper anymore since running 4-3-8. There's a big reason why Narduzzi, Pitt defensive backs are NFL ready. That quarter scheme out there is not friendly. They don't get any safety help. They're left on islands. They have to play press man. Josh, it's impossible. I mean, Jason Pinnock gave up 20 (laughs) touchdowns at Pitt, and he's playing for the Jets in the NFL. I think he was a seventh-round pick or something. Just Damari Mathis, really good player. Two other ones really fast, Jelani Woods, Virginia. Freak show tight end. This guy is Mercedes Lewis 2.0. He's 6'7", 255. You want to watch him catching the ball? Watch him at Virginia. You want to watch him doing all the unsung hero stuff like blocking in the run game pass pro? Watch his three years at Oklahoma State. Mike Gundy does not feature the tight end. And then you want to go one step further? He's high school quarterback. You want to watch some very interesting player of a prospect? Jelani Woods. High school, Oklahoma State, Virginia, Shrine Bowl, Pro Day, freak show. Jelani Woods visiting the Dallas Cowboys today, in fact. Okay. I see uh, Blake Jarwin worked out for them, the former Oklahoma State tight end. I think this guy might have a little more juice to him. Okay. You are the perfect person, I think, to talk through what I have realized. Stop right there. No. What I realize (laughs) is now the, the most polarizing prospect in the 2022 NFL draft. And that's the big man. You can't miss him. It's a, it's Jordan Davis defensive tackle out of, out of Georgia. Okay, 6'6", 341. Nearly a 60-pound weight differential between, let's say, Aaron Donald, unanimously probably the best defensive player in the league. This, and this is not hyperbole, Ben, is the most athletic player we have ever seen enter the NFL draft based on a lot of composite scores. Again, at 6'6", 341, Jordan Davis, a 47840, a 16'3", which is the same as Aaron Donald, about 60-pound weight difference, the same vertical jump at 32 inches, and an even better broad jump at 10'3 compared to a 9'8. That's trying to put his athletic testing into perspective. So let me ask you this. Who do you see? What do you see when watching a Jordan Davis? Because just going back, 378 snaps last season, that's about an average of 27. There are plenty of pros There are plenty of cons. You can have a debate with yourself. I'm sure you have. I have with this as well. But when we look for rare during the NFL draft process every single year, this is the poster boy for that. We have never seen a prospect like Jordan Davis. So, Ben, what do we do with it? You know, it seems like each year it's just kind of stacking and topping the previous performance, just like, wow. And then it's like, wow, with extra W's. And it's going, we're going to plateau at some point. Physics and, you know, the human elements got to come into play at some point here. Evolution. But, yeah, no question. But Jordan Davis, absolute freak show, human being for everything you had just said. But now it's the positional use and the positional value, which coming into this season, I said nose tackle, two gapper, line of scrimmage dweller. One-dimensional, non-pass rusher, not a whole lot of positional flex as well. Where does that value get taken? The Vita Veas, Danny Shelton's of the world are more of the outliers to get taken high in the draft. Remember a few years ago, my favorite nose tackle was Lecky Fautou, and he went on day three. He was a fourth-round pick. I thought he was the best nose tackle in the class, 
but that really spoke to what the NFL views and values with the nose tackles. Turn to 2021 and much more deeper study. This is a disruptive presence. This is a guy that gets vertical in the backfields. This guy does a lot of slanting and post-snap movement. This is a guy with range. This is a guy with change of direction. This is not a two-gap plugging line of scrimmage dwelling. I'm going to hold up gaps so everyone can make plays and shoot past me. This is a playmaker. And one step further, his, you know, holding up double teams, I don't even love that. He plays at such bad pad level. He's 6'6 in a behemoth. He doesn't have to corkscrew down with a near shoulder, near knee, and play with perfect technique because he's 6'6", 360. 6'6", 360 doesn't need perfect technique on Saturdays. That's a behemoth. So he survived with being a freak show. That doesn't always work at the next level. You can see a lot of these clips. He just pops straight up. His pad level is horrible, but he is such a monster. You can't move him. But the fact he can still surge across the ball, play vertical, play with the first step, if he goes to a single gap scheme, this guy's going to make a lot of plays. He's going to be a 15 to 20 TFL guy in the run game, in my opinion, especially if you play a box it in type of defense that really let him kind of confine his range as well. This guy makes plays out to the numbers. The more you peel back layers, this is a playmaking defensive tackle. This is not a line of scrimmage dwelling, run plugging, first down and come off the field type of guy. So as much as I thought this was a Daniel McCullers type or Steve McClendon or is this, more Casey, than that. is this Casey Hampton? You know, is this a new age Casey Hampton? I'm thinking this is more like Akeem Hicks. This is more of a massive three tech type that you can play all over the place because he's so strong and so tough. I'm so glad we're on the same page with all this. And I actually want to go through some of these clips too, because I think it really outlines it. And it's pretty easy to look at that size and say, well, this is a one tech nose tackle. But when you look at what he did this past season at Georgia, again, 378 snaps, far more of them, over 200 of them were in the B gap versus the A gap. I mean, he, he was a quote unquote three tech, if we want to use those terms, more so than just overhead of the nose. And I'm going to hog up two blockers and make everyone else make plays. Okay. I also think offensive linemen are shocked by his movement at that size. Cause when you, he gets, they get asked to reach him a lot. And his first step, there are, it's consistently, he's like the first one on the opposite line of the scrimmage. And, and he wants to play in the backfield. I, I want to show some examples here. Okay. So this is a first and 10 from Florida's own one yard line. Okay. By the way, he's like celebrating before this starts happening. He's pumping up the crowd, this type of stuff. This is one of the true occasions where I think Georgia is asking him to not do anything, to not just sit there. They're asking him to get up the field and like try to beat his man one-on-one and you'll probably see it better in the end zone view here what they do it's basically a quarterback power to get out of their own end zone and so the center has to take him one-on-one here and really quick josh if i just cut you off for film watchers and you're watching trench players don't be afraid to watch from the sideline because it's a really good perspective on who's first in that last play you can easily see jordan davis first. first off the ball and then you see the displacement and the knockback of the offensive lineman. Sometimes yep. from these perspectives, you can't always see that. There's things you can see and not see from each angle. That sideline angle of this play, you clearly saw that nose tackle fly through the center. So he's technically, if you want to call it this, two-gapping here. What That's what the, the front is, is aligned. But what you see with him versus the center, 
I mean, instantly pressed him back, gets him perpendicular to the line of scrimmage. The center is about to fall over. And what I love so much about Jordan Davis is he's not just this big body who wants to just get up the field and he's done his job. Look at this. He knows he's at pocket depth and he is working to get back inside because he sees he takes the ball vision, right? He knows where the football is. And so he's working to get back to it. He's going to put his right foot in the ground. Looks like I swim he back underneath there. His, his is... body control at 360 is exceptional. It's not enough just to be big. And this goes for the offensive lineman too. Having control over your movements is the other half of the equation of just being able to move. So him able, able, him able to be able to surge upfield off the ball, put his foot in the ground, come back underneath, not only to be able to do that, but have the awareness to do it post-play. Very, very impressive rep right there. I mean, it, it's also fluid at this size. And he just moves so differently than everyone else. Like, again, you see at times when he's facing zone blocking schemes, some guards or centers that are, you know, a, a gap away or half a gap away are trying to reach him. And maybe because of that first step, his quickness, which it doesn't necessarily, it's kind of like Derrick Henry running. You don't think he's running that fast in comparison to these other running backs, but you see him just pull away from everyone else. Love Jordan all the Davis very is- late, the late movement there. You saw the defensive line shift right before the snap. They do a great job at attacking offenses, blocking schemes in the first second, whether it's post-snap movement, quick slanting, going from an Aniba look to a down look. They do a lot of things right at the snap here. This is kind of a fun exercise to go through watching these uh, clips with you. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of this. Again, this is Evan Neal at left tackle against Alabama. I don't know who 70 is. Maybe you can correct me. Another Alabama offensive lineman, probably a four or five-star recruit. This is 360-pound left tackle with a free down block. This is the first overall pick with a free down block on a poor defensive lineman. Can't move him, stops his gap, and then also allows 44 to come over the top and make plays. That's probably another part of this equation that we're talking about here and something I want to ask you. I've heard Deontay Lee talk about this, Robert Mays, some really, really great football minds. Where in the media world? Too high. If we're going to see a lot more of that at the NFL level, technically, that's going to be one less defender that could possibly be in the box. So could this old school big body up front to take up more of the blockers, allow people to run a bit more, be more in vogue than it's been in these recent years with these, you know, smaller, shiftier, swivel-hipped, pass-rushing defensive tackles that they love in Philadelphia, like the Fletcher Coxes of the world. Part of me thinks yes. And when you have like the movement ability and then also someone who 100% is not going to win the leverage off the snap, but then also you see him pressing Offensive lineman up above them, above him and his shoulders. So he does get that leverage advantage. Part of me wonders if this is another way teams can get to because of two highs to occupy bodies up front if they want to. Yeah. And, you know, two highs, this is one of probably one of the bigger disconnects from the average fan and like literally the box count, number counts, and what they mean. So when you're playing too high, you're essentially saying we're going to try to defend the run with even numbers in the box. The name of the game is get an extra body into the box to tackle the ball carrier. When you play with even numbers, that's then asking somebody to, to defeat a block and then make the tackle. Now, you can play different schemes and even numbers. You could play with stacked linebackers, try to keep your second level free to make those plays. But then the guys up front are more of those plugging types. I always think back, my perfect visual of even number run defense is the mid to late 2000 49ers. 
or is Justin Smith, Alden yeah. Smith, yeah. You know, uh, Bowman, Willis. They played six on six in the box all the time. Safety's never had to contribute. That little nickel, uh, what was his name? Number 22, Carlos Rogers, rarely had to contribute there in there as well. Um, the kid, the Tashawn Golson, got a huge free agent deal to the Bucks, and they realized he couldn't play. But anyways, <laughs> but being able to defend the, the run with even numbers gives your defense so much flexibility because then you don't have to allocate that extra resource. You can give extra resources to defending the pass and out in space. So if you have guys like defensive tackles that can plug and stack and shed and be disruptors and single gappers, and every one of those clips you just showed to Jordan Davis, he gets off the ball and overwhelms offensive linemen before they can engage. That just gives you so much more flexibility. So I really like Jordan Davis. I think he's going to make somebody's front seven very, very happy. This is also a type of player that you can't just go and sign. Right. Like there's never really been someone like this, at least in the f- last five or 10 years. So if you want him on your team, look at this move again. It's that last against play Alabama. Crossing, crossing the face. of the, Yeah. His Are ability to cross the face of the left guard instantly after the snap, which they have to slant a lot post snap, especially they want to let those backers fly through. So there's some movement across faces. You shouldn't be able to do that at 360. And, and again, his presence at yeah. nose tackle is all over the streets. These are priority free agents. We could go sign Steve McClendon's and McCullers tomorrow. But for what he is doing, his disruptive presence, his vertical presence, which when I say vertical, the ability to get across the line of scrimmage into backfields is very, very rare. Yeah. Again, this this isn't callback Josh Chapman's of the world because he's not just sticking here at the nose when 74 come and crashes down here. He stuffs him. And he's working on the opposite end of the line of scrimmage here. And then this backfield vision, I I always want to bring it up because I feel like it's forgotten. We see, God, who was the Jaguars? Taven Bryan, okay, mm-hmm. who was a freak athlete but had no backfield vision. We just get lost and go in the wrong direction. And maybe, I think he's on the Browns now. The Browns can hopefully get something out of him because they've invested in oh, he's got a new home. Yeah. athletic players like that. But look. Now we see Jordan Davis be able to work over top here and then make a play in perfect timing just as the running back is crossing the line of scrimmage as well. Look, I I opened this conversation by talking and saying and stating the fact that he is legitimately the most athletic defensive player and player in general we've ever seen enter the league. And that's fair because, again, at this size and at the athletic testing you put out there, And if you want to have the argument that there's like a diminishing returns on someone that size and that athleticism in, in, in those models, I I would understand it, but Holy cow, we just have never seen players like this. And the more I do this, the more I see players every single year that there's a type like that in every single draft class. And it gets me amped when there's someone new, I'm not saying he's going to change the position, but it's just something different. And like, to me, that's, on the simplest form, like part of what the draft process is about is like locating someone that's different and isolating that and then seeing how they're going to do in the NFL. And I can't say anything about how many snaps he's going to play. I know he averaged again 27 per during Georgia. I don't see why from a skills standpoint that it can't be out there for 40 snaps again. Yeah, I think his playtime usage and projecting his playtime play usage usually gets more managed on Sundays and they find better uh, participation to get you the, the most out of you. So I expect them to maybe be in a similar type of playtime ballpark, and that's okay. Um, as opposed to, you know, like Kawan Shorts that play too much at Purdue and every other snap looked like crap. And then he goes to the NFL and let's roll that back and he looks good. 
So I think managing that workload is really important. And for all you evaluators and scouts out there, you always have to leave yourself a window for uniqueness, uniqueness in that not everything has come around before. This game's been played for 101 years. I understand that. But you always have to leave a window to say, this guy's different. Everyone's their own player. Everyone has their own skill set. Everybody has their own profile to them, story, trajectory, intelligence, everything to it. So you always have to leave that window to say, he's different. We haven't seen this before. How is it going to look? There's not always a one-to-one comp or you know a history to point to. So I think always giving yourself the flexibility of saying, this is a unique scenario. How do I use it? Rather than always trying to find some history to make you feel good about projecting forward. Uh, ben, I know I'm keeping you way too long. I did want to bring up a clip, and we don't have to watch the whole thing, but it's about two minutes okay. from Georgia's co-defensive coordinator kind of explaining their defense and maybe why, at least for me, and some people might take this as excuse-making, but why he and others might only have seven career sacks during their time with the Georgia Bulldogs. Here it is. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, that's common sense. I agree. But this is where we were. We had been a team that felt like, you know what, we have good enough players. We can rush four, and we've always been able to with the way the quarterbacks were to be able to rush four, push the pocket, not let the guy out of there. And we're not going to change coverage-wise. We're going to be a two-man team primarily on third down. We still are. But if enough of this happens with, with you know, the more athletic quarterbacks nowadays, you've got to sit there and self-assess and say, how am I going to do it? So our primary way to, to handle – quarterbacks on third down is some form of what we call odd mirror two man so odd mirror five and we're going to assign our one spy but the difference in how we're going to coach this and we're going to see on the deal is it is an aggressive spy the second the quarterback is off the spot you get to hug so it ends up working like a four-man rush twist they're going to funnel him to the spot here right second the quarterback feels the pocket break and we'll see it you're gone because we don't want the I think everybody, a lot of people view spies as this guy's hovering at seven yards, five yards until the guy breaks the line of scrimmage. That's not what we want it to be. We still want to be aggressive. We just don't want the inside lanes for the quarterback to escape for immediate yardage. If he wants to get the yardage and convert for us on two man, he's going to have to run outside and outrun our spy. So here we are in two minute against Auburn this year. We're going to, we'll change the way we present it every week and we're going to sit here, and Adam Anderson from Rome is, is going to run the guy down and just force the throw. It's not about the sack, but it's about, hey, we're going to sit there from the end zone. We're going to make sure that the pocket gets broke by the left end, and we're going to make sure he cannot step up because when, you, when we studied it, almost every scramble for a first down against two man was big gaps and inside. Hmm. Okay. That's from the great Billy M., my buddy on Twitter. Thank you for that. Um, a couple things that I took from there, and you can you can translate that better than I can, but gap responsibility on the interior in obvious passing situations was imperative for Georgia, where they might not allow, again, their interior defensive linemen just say, hey, man, we're going to go get the quarterback and we're going to get a sack here. Instead, they didn't allow the quarterback to climb the pocket and escape through the middle, which is the fastest way to convert the first down. So... Not making excuses, but if A to B to C, maybe that stops someone like Jordan Davis for the stat counters out there, only seven career sacks because he wasn't able in those obvious passing situations to really work one-on-one and beat his man in the backfield. 
Yeah, you know, my just full picture of this, I love two-man as well. You have two deep safeties, man-to-man underneath. You have to really layer throws. The downside, you have defenders turning and running, which leaves the quarterback runs to be exposed. So you assign one of those guys to the quarterback. However, just sitting at seven yards and saying, when the quarterback breaks, I'll follow him, is still too much space to cover. So what they've done is give a mandatory inside move from that defensive end, preventing the step-up lane, flushing him out to a particular direction to these absolute gazelles at linebacker that they put to hunt them down. So you see a lot of mandatory post-snap movement. So that's why the Wyatts, the Trayvon Walkers, Jordan Davises of the world don't have that production because a lot of times they were on strict assignments post-snap and not just given green lights to get up the field and rush the passer. It's not like Devontae Wyatt was isolated on the left guard and beat him one-on-one. No, they want to give opportunity for Channing Tindall and Nakobe Dean and guys like that to use their explosive playmaking ability, whether on true blitzes or QB spies and things like that. So I think the post-snap movement and the assignments and what they were asked to do really speak to that lack of production. And one extra thing, whether it's that clinic there, Kirby's got a bunch of clinics out there on YouTube, go find them. That Georgia defense, they do a great job of explaining very complicated schemes and very complicated visuals to very layman's people like myself that obviously don't need to know what three rip match Liz means. You know, I just need to know the layman's of the assignments. They do a great job and there's a lot of movement with that Georgia defense. They explain it very well, very clearly, and it's very easy to absorb. So Kirby smart or that one there, the assistant DC, both really good guys. Yeah. My my process with Jordan Davis was to watch a little bit. Then I watched that. And then I watched more Jordan Davis and I, paid attention to those <laughs> moments when he kind of was a little stuck at the line of scrimmage. Right. And then when the quarterback escaped or dumped it off, you saw the <laughs> linebackers absolutely flying 17, whoever else to the ball. And like you said, gazelles just tracking it down. Yeah. And so uh, I watched the one Kirby clinic where they talked about the movement right to the snap and what they're trying to do, whether it's a late shift and getting false starts from the old line, whether it's trying to confuse blocking schemes with very late movements even simple things where guys are all standing up, then two seconds before they snap, they all get down and into normal stances. And just ha- hearing the explanation of why they're doing that, and it's purely for confusion. It's purely to put the offense on edge, and it works. Whether it's false starts or missed assignments or guys slanting and looping post-snap unaccounted for, a lot of different schematic elements that make those freak athletes successful. Ben, you've said it all. Um The people out there can follow you, Ben Fennel underscore NFL. It's down the description below. Again, you do great work with the Eagles, great work at NFL Network and CBS Sports in the fall. Anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? No, we'll stay in the NFL Network family these days, preparing a lot of our draft coverage. Work really close with Daniel Jeremiah and putting all the pictures, the matches, talking points, and evaluations. Really excited to see how this whole – shebang's going to go down in vegas in a couple of weeks could be crazy could be a disaster could be awesome we'll see um so very much looking forward to the midwest swing over the next couple of years in kc and detroit hopefully green bay gets one and uh, i'll take a couple of months off work on the golf game and next thing you know training camp and that next class is right around the corner so we'll have to uh, do this again soon and start yeah. doing 2023 guys thanks so much for doing this ben uh, everyone out there We are back Monday. Monday night is our giveaway stream. We're giving away a whole bunch of underdog merch for the first time. I know you all asked for it, so be on the lookout for this channel. Monday night stream. Okay. Like, subscribe. 
Thanks for joining us. All this fun stuff. And go and follow freaking Ben. One of the best ones out there in the game. All right. Talk to you all soon. See you.